I was in college during COVID, and I was at supposedly the smartest, one of the smartest colleges in the world, and I had everyone there, every single person there, lining up to get a booster, wearing eight masks, listening to whatever the fuck they said, like in total fear. Yeah. I was like, how the fuck is this the smartest place in the world? Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Mike Bledsoe. He is a serial entrepreneur and coach. We get into the problems with American culture as well as how you're getting brainwashed. Please like and subscribe. You're going to love today's episode. Thank you. Mike, welcome on the show. Thanks for having me. So let's start. You look like a very healthy man. What are your pillars of health for you? What's like the things you have to be hitting every day or every week? What's like the fundamental pieces of your health? Yeah. Uh, so I move every day, mm -hmm. even if it's for 10 minutes. I think that I, I used, I used to have a, I used to be an athlete and if I couldn't get my two hour workout in, that would just do nothing. Yeah. And then one day I realized that I was totally screwing up and I started doing just warm up, like a really high quality warm up, 10, 15 minutes a day. And I got, I got even leaner. And I was training way less. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the keys is uh, frequency over intensity. So people think about working out as this intense thing. But for me, it's about frequency. How yeah. often am I moving? Yeah. So that's one of the pillars is frequent movement. For sure. I, I agree. Because I noticed that if I'm going balls to the wall hard every day, I'm just not getting results. But it's in that like 40, 30 minute range of just moving a couple mm -hmm. weights and being with it over mm -hmm. time it actually it actually works out yeah it's better for your mind that way too because you're not yeah. overloading and you can do work and stuff outside of it yeah that, that was one of the things that i had to deal with at one point is because i was training so hard as an athlete in running a business yeah that i i would work out and it would take me hours for my mind to recover yeah so i could be useful <laughs> and so then i went through a phase where i, w I did too little yeah now i'm in a balance where i lift like what I do is I spend time with a friend for two hours, three days a week. We hang out and we lift weights. Nice. And do some gymnastic stuff and it's just a lot of fun. So you're putting in like the social piece with it, with the lifting and it comes together that way. Yeah. So me, actually, you you interviewed him, Alex. I, he's, a, he's a man, yeah. Yeah. He's my training partner. Nice. So we I go to his gym uh, three days a week and we... We put together a plan to be as strong and flexible and athletic as possible. And we just hang out and talk and lift weights and we love it. It's just yeah. super enjoyable. So yeah, that social, my social, my, uh, my social life actually improved just hanging out with one person frequently. Yeah. Whereas before it was all my social interactions were super random. I worked from home so I could go two or three days and only see my fiance and now I'm seeing, oh, I see Alex three days a week. I'll, yeah. I'll probably see his wife too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really nice. Uh, how long were you in that lone wolf mindset? My whole life. What was the effect? Lone wolf is in like training by myself. Well, training by yourself, but also not having many like friends to see mm. all the time or just being kind of isolated and thinking that that was the way to be. I have a, yeah, I, I, I've had a long history of lone wolf mentality. I was homeschooled. All the way through. Uh, I was the oldest of five, so kind of... Your whole life, you were in high school for middle school? All the way through. Wow. Um, and 
Yeah, and I and because I was the oldest, I didn't feel like I had any peers. Like everybody was the little brother and little mm. sister. So there's a little bit of that. And also my my dad was incredibly independent mm -hmm. and he didn't do a good job of like asking for help and, and he was a very social guy. Yeah. Like I'm very social. Yeah. But the amount of like asking for help or having a consistent schedule yeah. of social activity that's healthy. Uh, yeah, I, I just have a lifetime of a tendency of, especially under stress, closing down and locking myself out from the rest of the world. And um, yeah, I'm, intellectually, I know that's not the best way to go because every time I open myself up to other people, just for even conversations, mm -hmm. is when you know the, the biggest challenges become solved much more easily than I was imagining. Are you getting better at that now? Much better. What was Much the key, better. like the key m moment or move you made to make that transition? Uh, I think um, not taking responsibility for other people as much. Hmm. So uh, a lot of it came from feeling like I needed to be the one that solved the problem because hmm. I'm in charge and no one else is going to be able to do it. Yeah. And then when I realized that, no, we... Um, I don't need to be responsible for other people's lives and all that. And I, I, I set down the net necessity to be responsible for others. And that actually opened the door to have much better communication. Yeah, so you're kind of transferring maybe your coaching brain to like your friends and, and stuff. Was yeah. that was happening a bit? Was uh, that having a split of like, because you're a coach, right? So it's like, yeah. so it's, that's your job to sell people shit and be there and help decipher their issues. But then that can be hard to separate once you have like friends and stuff outside of that or, or family um well i i would just isolate from my friends and only okay. talk i would i would like disappear for weeks and lock myself in my house to solve some problem what was the problem usually just like a business business like mostly that. yeah what were you avoiding in those moments what was like, the key thing you're avoiding by doing that um uh the experience of weakness okay yeah i um yeah, I'd say one of the biggest fears that I've ran from my most of my life was was uh, being perceived or or feeling weak. When did that start? In some way, uh, when I was a I was a little kid. The um, you know I grew up in my dad worked construction mm -hmm. and he owned his own company, and my brother and I would go out there and everything was a competition all the time. Like, could you take the shingles and walk up the ladder? The shingles and when you start roofing houses when you're 12 then and you can't when you're 12 pick up a, a whole thing of shingles and walk it up the ladder but you see these other guys doing it and then everyone's talking shit to each other if they yeah. can't do something for sure and so and then there's my brother who's two and a half years younger who's all he's really athletic and so there's this this fear of like being surpassed by other people mm -hmm. and and just uh I'm not really sure because I don't, my dad didn't really, he didn't really value being physically strong. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't remember that being a thing. He was physically strong. I think. Dad strength. Yeah. He didn't even need to say it. It just yeah. was because he could throw like two sets of shingles over his shoulders and just climb up yeah. the ladder like it was no big deal. I'm like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Uh, so I think that was a, a big part of it is I think that. I had a fear of if my dad ever saw, thought that I was weak, then I would lose his love. Same exact wound for me. My dad wasn't yeah. also, yeah, wasn't physically strong, but he was, 
intellectually very strong. It was he was just the, the smartest guy. Mm. Every room he was in, he would just own intellectually. So then, that became a way of of like mm-hmm. feeling loved to feel, have to match his level of intelligence, and you kind of follow that route. And how are you dealing with that now? Because again, it's like that wounding. Even though I look back at it and it hurt, and it still hurts sometimes. I wouldn't be good at what I do if I didn't have that wounding. Like it Absolutely. kind of built the shadow I needed to do what I did. Yeah. How do you like reckon with that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I am physically. I'm 41. I've got a six pack, and I, yeah. I can lift a lot of weight. Yeah, and that's from a lifetime of, which makes which gives me a really strong, capable body. Yeah, that's gonna probably help me live a long time and be very and be helpful and and have a lot less pain. So you know, there's a lot of shadow and and in <clears throat> in having what it took to build this, and there was a period of time where I overdid it. Yeah big time so there was injuries and stuff like that but um and i also chose to do very physically and mentally demanding tasks going into the military uh signing up for very arduous training and and uh how long were you in the military four and a half years and what was that like uh, the majority of the time was was bored out of my mind (laughs) It was just really boring. How old uh, were you? I was. I went in when I was nineteen. Yeah. I got out when I was twenty-four, and I really thought there was going to be a lot more action. Hmm. And for for sure, there were moments that were incredibly like physically demanding. You know, being awake for three days in a row, no sleep, mm-hmm. uh, being completely uh, just cold and and miserable and needing to keep doing whatever it is that we had to do um being on six month deployments where it was just 18 hour days seven days a week and there was a level of just uh toughness that was built up that um really serves me now yeah uh i've had to be very careful not to rely on it because there was a period of time where it like mental toughness and being strong was always the solution, which will make for a very miserable life. So what's that line you've created now? When is it useful to tap into that? And when is it detrimental? Mm. Uh, It's been a gift in my personal development, my spiritual development journey, in which case um, my relationship, because of all the mental toughness work, I basically just committed to doing the most terrifying things I could imagine. Hmm. Like what? Um, like a lot of things in the military. It's like, okay. oh, I'm going to sign up for the toughest training. Yeah. Like sometimes people die. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm in the middle of training going, I've got to be willing to die yeah. for this. And um, there was, I think that's really served me in my personal development journey because the ego really wants to be right. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it like wants to really go there and it, it, it doesn't want to give up. And that I've had so much practice doing just the most terrifying thing I could imagine in the external world that when I, I've actually I've been able to bring that into my internal world and go, you know what? I I don't need to be right right now. I can be I can surrender to a um to an experience of life and I can, I can change. I can be different and it doesn't, uh, doesn't make it easy. 
these are these are difficult shifts that get to be made at times but um i think that most people don't even touch the thing that's hindering them in their life yeah because of fear for sure but i go what's the worst thing could happen you could die i'm like okay i've already i've already proven multiple times i'm willing to go yeah, so to what, you, what you're referring to is being brave enough to face the metaphorical dragon in your mind facing the side of yourself that you realize is no longer serving you facing the mm -hmm. the shadow the demon per se that's holding you back mm -hmm. and i agree so many people just just can't go there and it's unconscious yeah they just don't even realize they're scared of it yeah so it's interesting to see that like your upbringing and facing fear constantly Help to you because I'm the same way. Like I'll look at to a fault. I want to see where you think of this. Or if I yeah. catch a repressed trauma or a shadow, I'm almost too not afraid. I'm like, let's fucking go. Like I'm ready to wrestle. You. I'm ready to fight. And it gets to a point where I can, I can overdo it. I can get like, I can get too frazzled. So I want to see if that. How does that affect you? Like going in too yeah. fast, too hard sometimes on a certain thing. Um, yeah, it can be very disruptive yeah. to life because because that. Because what's happening when you're doing that work is you're shifting how you're being. Everything. You can't go. You can't go in there and make a shift, and it not impact the external world. Mm -hmm. It has to. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't, you didn't do it. Yeah. And um, so uh, it can be incredibly disruptive, and it's un um, it's unpredictable how disruptive it'll be. Uh, there's this really, uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Jed McKenna, uh, no, no relation to Terrence McKenna. Uh, he's a enlightenment teacher, but not your typical enlightenment teacher. Like he shits on all sorts of spiritual traditions. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, nice. pretty interesting. I don't recommend it unless you, you know, people listening, I, I only recommend it to people who, uh, are you know, willing to go live under a bridge for a while while they put their mind back together. Yeah. But he talks about how the mind is not a, this beautiful, intricate web. Like people like to think, it's like, oh, I just pluck this thought over here and it'll impact everything else. But he, he describes it as a rat's nest. It's like, you pull that one string, you have no idea what it's tied to. Yep. And it's going to impact all these other areas of your life. And so, yeah, when you're, when you're really aggressive and you're like pulling on multiple strings at a time where I've gone in on, on a, a weekend retreat or a week long retreat and I pull on seven different strings in that week and I come out and it's like, Oh, I got to leave my company. <laughs> oh, like this relationship isn't working anymore. It's like all these shifts happen and it's so disruptive that, that it can make things in life difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and the people around uh, me, you know, they, anytime we shift how we're being internally, we will stop meeting the expectations that we've created for other people. They're like, oh, Mike always shows up like this. And I'm, I go, oh, I'm just not showing up like that anymore. Yeah. And now they're mad at me. And so it can be disruptive to relationships. It can be disruptive to business. Um, uh, have you found that? To oh, be for the sure. Case? Yeah. Yeah. I've lost almost every friend and lover I've had. Yeah, for sure. Just because I'm very sensitive to just like how my body's sensitive in the way where, for example, I stopped drinking caffeine like a month ago because one day I had a cup. My body's like, nope, not, you can't do it right now. Like maybe in the future, but right now, even mushrooms. Like I stopped taking psychedelics like a year ago because I took one. 
And I was like, you can't do it for the next couple of years. So I'm very sensitive to that, even with people. So once I get the hit of like, this doesn't serve your golden timeline of your evolution of, of your highest being, I'm just very ruthless. Like, for me, all I care about is reaching that, that golden, that, that like that moment where I realize, fuck, I met my destiny. That's all I care about. Yeah. So if I get the hit that something isn't getting me there, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. It's hard. It, 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 it's tough. But over time, and with enough results, right? I'm, I'm assuming this also helps you with enough time and you seeing that, taking those steps and trusting that vision or that intuition leads to what you really need. Over time, it becomes easier to do that. It becomes easier to let things go because you know through time and results that it'll get to get you to where you have to go. Yeah. Has that been your experience? Now you kind of get can be a little more like trusting that a feeling of that intuition will get you the thing you need to get. Yeah. I mean, recently I've, I've gone through um, some things that were really difficult and like what? needing to shift. Um, Let's see if I can put into words. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, so I, my fiance and I have been together for three years and the life that I lived before her, I was, uh, I was very agile. Like I valued agility in life. Like, it's like, oh, I don't really need to plan that far ahead because I can, you know, when okay. everyone else goes left, I can go right, no big deal. Flexibility, just being able to do what you want, freedom in a way. Yeah, yeah. but but also like if there's a if there's something bad happens, if there's mm -hmm. a threat, you, an example of like a physical threat. It's like I don't need to worry about being able to fight because all I need to do is get away. Yeah, like I'm smart, I can just get away. But now I'm in a relationship, and and that applies to everything. Not just physical threats, but that's anything that can happen. And now that I'm in this relationship and I go, oh, I, I, I remember we were visiting Colombia and we got, uh, we were in this town and I was like the only white dude. <laughs> I was the only blonde haired blue eyed guy there. Yeah. And we got in a, a very interesting situation and there was no way I could run because I would have other people with me. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I have to stand my ground in this situation. And I, the last few years, I've been moving from agility to stability and going, okay, I need to create a life where agility isn't the thing I value, stability is. And that has been very jarring. It was very jarring to my system. What's the difference in your experience? Uh, well, um, on a practical level, my agility was, uh, I don't, uh, I need money. I'll just go make it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if I run out of money, I'll just go make it. Yeah. Uh, and I can always downsize my expenses and become very simple if I need to for a month or two and then ramp it back up. Being in a relationship, it's like, I go, Oh, we can't be moving around all the time. Uh, she, she can't work the same way I work when traveling. Uh, and uh, so we bought a house and we're in one spot. So just being in one spot and, and owning something is, is stability. Mm. Um, and then also getting into more of a wealth building mentality versus an income driving mentality. And I, I started thinking, I was like, oh, well, I, I'm looking forward to family I want to have the option of the whether I need to work or not in order to receive money. And so I started shifting my mindset 
about a year and a half ago around how do I build wealth? I don't really care about uh, how much money I can make in a month. I'm caring how much money is coming to me in the future. And I'm a fairly intense person. (laughs) So I ended up is like totally took my eye off the ball of short-term income for the purpose of long-term. And I started getting into some long-term assets, which was fantastic. That's great for in the future. Um, but I, I, it's like, I totally switched from agility, like the agility of being able to be like, oh, I'm going to sell a coaching program and I can make 20, 30, 40, 50 K this month. No big deal to how do I create a system that generates wealth for, for generations? Yeah. That's the stability versus the, oh, I'll just go make some money real yeah. quick. But you're, you're applying the same intensity from the agility to the stability. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, <clears throat> it was just a lot to learn. Yeah. For one, it was like, man, I got to really learn. I got to change how I think. I'm, I have to change my behaviors. Yeah. Um, the Yeah, just everything that got, there's a lot of things that transferred skill-wise, but there's a lot of things that didn't yeah, uh, I hear, skill-wise. I hear you. It's this. Tough realization once you once you're called to get into a new part of your life or a new a new experience of what you want trying to call in. People think that it might just be habits to get you there, but it's a whole thing. You have, to get to where you have to go, you have to change your thoughts, your behaviors, your emotions. Like every, like the whole the system the system that is you has to get a reset some way, which is really fucking challenging. Yeah, the the habits are easy sure. if you can make the internal shift. I think one of the common mistakes that people make is that they think they only need to do habits. Yeah, no, fuck and me. that's just hard. Yeah, it's the hard way to go. Yeah, how do you? Because it's tough. How do you start making those internal shifts to begin with? Like, let's use that example. Like, how did you go about making that internal shift internally? Being like, okay, I know for my future, my life, I have to move towards stability or from agility. Instead of going straight to the habits, how did you go into your body first and start setting a new foundation there to get there? Um, I, I think it was more out of pain. It was okay. more of, uh, of uh, things. I, I, I saw that I wanted that too. Yeah. And I didn't know how to have it. And I, I was like, well, I got to learn more about, I got to learn more about this. So I took a course on how to do that and how to build more wealth instead of just income. And I took a course and I had some mindset shifts around that where I go, Oh, um, there's a difference between having high income and having high net worth. I've been hyper-focused on high income, not on net worth. And, uh, that was, it's a much slower process. Uh, I tend to move really fast. And so learning to be uh, more present with incremental progress from day to day and being okay with that versus the big sprints uh, to push forward. I'm like, oh, let's just go make a bunch of money. It's like, okay, that doesn't, that's short lived. We need to like create something that's more stable. Yeah, I I hear you. I'm the same way, in the sense I love the sprints. I love just having <clears throat> a conception of what I need, <clears throat> what I want to do, and just sprinting, sprinting, sprinting towards it. Yeah. Just going, going hard. It's hard for me to slow down and let it come. Yeah. Do the day by day things to build momentum, to build the space and energy to receive it. That's tough for me. Is it tough for you? Has it been tough for you to create that like slowing down space? Oh yeah. Yeah. I started. Uh, I started gardening. 
<laughs> just for that, that reason, just to learn how well, to like slow down a bit? That was part of it. Yeah. I think I was just, the, the idea of providing my own food. Yeah. Like I started hunting a couple years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I uh, started gardening. I'm like, yeah, just the idea, there's a sense of security that comes up from being able to like, oh yeah, and pride. And like, I grow this food, I hunt this food, and then I have friends over and I get to, to beat them. I'm like, oh, this is... I hear you, man. I'm, I'm envious of bigs. I feel, part of me feels like a bitch that I can't, <laughs> that I can't like, I can't go hunt and garden. I'm fully dependent on a fucked up corrupt system to feed me. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a, an emasculating feeling, so it's good that you've done that. Well, that, that was actually, so one of the things that really motivated me also was looking around and seeing, you know, who who's got the most power in the world who's practicing the most amount of power and people are just giving it to them and it's the people who have figured out how to build wealth mm-hmm. it's not the high income earners it's the big wealth builders yep. and um it's if i'm a i want to be able to provide all my own shit so that i'm not necessarily dependent on the system and then b I want to have an impact on the system in a way that's beneficial for people versus um, extraction-based, which is largely what's going on right now. And so it's, um, it's it, to, to me, it's a lot about just growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, there's waking up, growing up, and showing up. What's the difference? So waking up is what I think most people in the spiritual community, like, they, they know. You know, you know that time when you woke up. Yeah, You're like, sure. oh, there was that moment. I was just like, oh, my God, everything is not what I thought it was. I got to go tell everybody. This is crazy. And then, and then, um, you know, that, that's the waking up. And the growing up is going, oh, I, I'm, um, I'm responsible for everything in my life. And, um, yeah. and, and I... Another part of growing up is um, being able to parent yourself. Mm-hmm. And so uh, giving yourself all the things that maybe even the things you didn't get from mom and dad. Yeah. Being able to give yourself those things and behave as a, an adult, which means that you don't stay up late playing video games, right? Like you wouldn't let a kid do that. Yeah. Maybe every once in a while. Yeah. But you eat well. Like There's all these things that a, a most people walking around the world haven't grown up. They may be 35, 40 years old, but they're, they're still kids. They're overripe adults. Yeah. They're or overripe children. And so they, they haven't grown up yet. So a lot of people wake up and they're able to complain about like, oh shit, this is like the whole world is like this. And, you know, it could be like that. And why don't people listen to me? And they're not listening to you because you didn't grow up yet. Yeah. And so for so the growing up is really just being being the adult. Yeah, on that concept of growing up, I've been sitting with this. Uh, I look at a a child or a group of children, and I'll see them so happy being themselves, enjoying life to the fullest. And I always think like, what the fuck went wrong here with all us adults? And I keep coming back to that we don't know how to handle responsibility with fun. Right. It's just like this overburden that we don't know how to dance with our responsibility. So how have you gone about that journey of like feeling the burden of responsibility and all the stress that it creates 
while creating space for joy and fun with it? Uh, I, responsibility and burden are two separate things. Okay. Yeah. How so? Yeah, I used to. So I think about, um, so in our, in our language, we have a lot of uh, collapsed distinctions mm -hmm. is, is what I call it. And so that is we tie two ideas together and think that they can't exist without the yeah. other. So an example of this would be love and worry. So you're, you have a mother, mm -hmm. right? And for most mothers, they feel as though if they're not worried about their son, then they don't love them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the son's going, Mom, don't worry about me. There's no reason to be worried. In fact, it's annoying. Mm -hmm. I'm not experiencing love mm -hmm. when you worry at all. It's, it's annoyance. And so it's up to the mother at that point to go, oh, worry is worry and love is love. I can love without the worry. What worry is, a, is like the fear of love in a way. It's like the fear in a way. It's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely the opposite. It it's a fear of something happening yeah. um, that hasn't happened. Uh, and so the collapse distinction of responsibility and burden. Uh, I, you see this in politics. People are like, who's responsible? Like you're in trouble. It's like <laughs> responsibility is not about, is, is not blame. You know, there's responsibility and then there's blame, right? Uh, I can be responsible without taking the blame. Yeah. Right. I may not have created the problem, but I'm going to, I'll fix it. So, uh, there's, there's a distinct, there's a collapse distinction between responsibility and blame for one. And then there's responsibility and burden in that. I think that we grew up in a environment where the idea of, um, and if you're, if the responsible person is carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, and if you're responsible, like, there's a weight to carry. And it's like, not necessarily. Like, you can have, you can be responsible and and not experience burden. How? And How do you do that? By playing. Like, everything's a game. Yeah. Everything's a game. It's, it's... How do you turn... I hear you and I completely agree. Yeah. I just want to... I was trying to bring in, like, a counter-argument to help totally. yeah. listener listen. Because it's... I get it, right? But it becomes hard to play when it really feels like it's not a game. When it really feels like you know you're about to you're about to lose a big paycheck, you are your kids and wife are pissed at you, and you're about to get kicked out of the house. Like, how do we turn those serious situations of responsibility, like the real fucked up ones, into play? Like that's what I even I struggle with. When I can do it with simple things. Once it's like, it's like a a moment when my ego is really upset, or I'm stuck in some inner child shit. That in those moments is the hardest where it comes to play, but those moments is actually the most important moment to play. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier when you're single <laughs> uh, than in a relationship. That's for sure. I, I got a lot of practice without... Um, yeah, I, I, had some t I had some space where... It, going back to like the like willing to die thing. Like there's a level of unimportance about me that's online like i'm actually not that important neither are you like none of us are that really important which is very like um very different than what people are are taught all the time like oh every person is very important oh i'm really important it's like are you are you really like if you vanish humanity is gonna just keep going yeah and so i think there's like a lack of you know, you look at Buddhism, they talk about uh, non-attachment, right? 
but the way I see it is like the 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 modern way of saying it is just you if you're attached it's because you made it important you have an emotional yeah. experience about it um, and when you're single and you're not you don't have a bunch of people that are you're in like really close relationship with I think it's really easy to have a lot of levity in your own life like ah you know oh that thought was funny that's not true that's bullshit but then in relationship it, it becomes more challenging and then for me the challenge has become is like trying to get other people to be playful with me mm -hmm. but almost nobody is as playful with me and then the moment they stop playing with me then I feel alone and then I'll get angry and now I'm not playing anymore yeah so I'm not it's not like I'm immune to it. I do get sucked into it. But to me, uh, I, I journal every morning and almost every morning something comes up where I'm working through something and I write down, I get to play with this. Yeah. I'm playing with, I'm playing with these thoughts, these emotions. I'm playing with these emotions. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm playing with this other person. Um, while also being compassionate and caring for their experience yeah, that they're it's, making. It's an interesting topic because doing the inner work and how much it takes to be so focused internally, like it's impossible to not feel like we mean more than we do because we're so focused on all our show, our trauma, all these things that we see as big issues that it's hard in the inner work to then take a step back and ultimately be like, none of this shit fucking matters. Yeah. It's again, going back to one of the themes today, it's like, it's this, this delicate line, this delicate dance between both polarities. Yeah. I also like to think about um, other cultures. Like mm -hmm. uh, it's a very American thing to be so um, individually focused, and so um, like uh, like psychology has made it into is is now mainstream, and like trauma is mainstream. Yeah, it's a mainstream, and people actually are calling trauma that's not trauma. Yeah, and they're making themselves really. There's a lot of self-importance with that, like, oh, it's on me. Or it could just be everyone around you and the culture at large. But you go to other countries, and um, I find it really fascinating that the English language, I think, is very, um, is built in a way. Cause, so consciousness is, uh, one piece of consciousness is thought. And the thoughts are made up of words. And... Uh, the language you speak is going to impact how you perceive the world. So yeah. if you speak English, a lot of the language is built in a way that's very I, me. There's a lot of that going on. Like that comes first. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a lot of these Asian countries, the, the way the language is built is much more we oriented. And so when someone walks in the room, they know where they fall in the hierarchy. Like it's very hierarchical. Like in America, hierarchy is, you know, I think a lot of people who are from here don't realize how flat the hierarchy is, but you go to Japan and immediately the elders are up here and the youngest one is down here and everyone knows exactly who's serving who. And, um, so I think that, I think it's like a, a blessing to go look at some of these other cultures and realize like, cause in, cause in somewhere like Japan, the individual is not that important it's the family comes first and then the country and, you know, it expands out like that, that those, it, it's like the reverse. I think that if we get too caught up in our own stuff, then it, it is hard to have levity and play. For sure. I, I feel like for me personally, I don't know if you agree or not, but it has to be 
some kind of middle ground. Because I think when you get too much, like too much into the weed, too much into, you ignore your shadow, you ignore the, like, the things in yourself that you need to see. But now, you're, now in America, especially, now we're just all becoming narcissistic victims. So it's like this, like really, it's again, it's a really fine line between knowing what's what's one way or another. I think yeah. that's one thing we struggle with in society or in the world is, is duality. Being in the space between those polarities, any polarity, it's one or the other. It's being a victim or being a denier. It's just like this this extreme polarity we find ourselves in that we have to sit with and be yeah. like, you know, okay, for a minute or, or half an hour in this coaching session, I could talk with my shit for an hour. Once this goes away, I'm focusing on something outside of me. I'm focusing on serving, focusing on being a lover, all this shit that we have to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the middle way. Yeah. Dao De Jing. <laughs> like it's just it's all the pendulum swings, but can you can you recognize the pendulum swinging and stay centered? I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information and in this break, please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you. In what other ways, let's talk about American culture. In what other ways are you <laughs> are you not a fan of the way America's doing things right now, culturally wise, and how it affects our, our yeah. conscious minds here, stuff like that, yeah. You know, I, I'm, um, I, love, I love being an American, mm -hmm. for one. Um, philosophically, like the idea of, of America is just, I think, the, one of the greatest advancements in human consciousness. For sure. I don't think it gets... I don't think, it, I think one of the problems is people don't actually get it. I guess one of the problems with American culture right now is the, the intention of, of um, Declaration of Independence, the, the intention of the Constitution um, has been lost. Uh, also. So the, um, so the Constitution is, we, we were the first country, I don't know of any other countries that have done this. This is the first country, the United States, America was the first country that basically put a constitution in place that limits government power. Yeah. Every other constitution for every other nation, it, it's the other way around. It says what power the government has over the people. Yeah. And this, is, this constitution is the one that, like, we the people... And everything about it is to limit the government from from stepping out of line yeah. and stepping out of bounds. I, I completely agree. Yeah. But one of the things that's happened, I noticed. I'm 41. I've noticed this over my lifetime, is I, which made me very frustrated because I, I I took like constitutional law when I was in high school. I was homeschooled, so I took you know weird courses. Yeah. Uh, That's a weird high school class, but <laughs> yeah, I took like I took like Latin and things that weren't offered in you, a typical school, and um, and I remember doing constitutional law. I was like, oh man, like I really get this. And I studied like a lot of the philosophers that were were contributors to the re uh, the Enlightenment period. That is what led to uh, the the French Revolution and the American Revolution. And um, but what I've noticed is so many Americans look across the pond at Europe like they're doing it right. Like, oh, you know, we, sh we need to be more like Europeans. I just remember being my, my whole life being like, we gave them the, the bird like 
250 years ago. Like we, we basically said, you guys are being really oppressive. We're out uh, and fought a war over it. And now 200 years later, we're looking back and being like, oh, they're so progressive and yeah. all this. And I've always thought it was so ridiculous. And now that it's 2023 and you're seeing Europe fall apart. I'm like, it's not, it's like though a lot, the Europeans never really got out of the mentality. There was no, their development of consciousness was stuck in the idea that there was royalty, that some people have more rights than others. Mm -hmm. Like the queen, you know, the queen's passed now. The queen and uh, the royalty are sovereign. And what that, in, in, in very legal terms, what that means is the laws don't apply to them, like at all. Yeah. They're not paying taxes. They're not, there's, they, they're above the law. And so this is a concept that if you were, if, you, if your family's from Europe and you never left Europe and you always lived in Europe, you're, it's like you don't even know that you don't know that you're viewing a human being having more rights than you do. And so there's this idea that there's something good about that. I, I, don't, I, I don't quite understand it, to be honest, because yeah. we grew up the way, you know, I grew up the way I grew up. Yeah. I don't know how you grew up. But. I, I grew up in Europe. Yeah. So actually, I grew up in, in mm. London. And that's one thing I noticed is that the way that that culture kind of seeps through into society, that there's a very, in England specifically, there's like a very elitist, snobbish mentality that one thing I love, I love about America, and I'm, I'm a big patriot in many ways. Obviously, I think we have issues here 100%. Totally. And it's corrupt and it's all fucked up. For sure. <laughs> but I, for your reason. I think, I think the things that are corrupt are un-American. Yeah. For your reason specifically is why I'm a patriot is that this experiment of someone creating a constitution that limited government power to me is an unbelievable thing. But in, 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 the, in the UK, it was very much, sorry, in the US, what I love is the only country I've been in truly where you can have a friend group of all different races and economic diversity. That doesn't matter here too much. Right. Anywhere else I've been, it's an issue. Like in the UK, you never had economic England. The lower class, were, the higher class would not associate with lower class because of that uh, royal family mentality of this like, separation of elitism of being like, we cannot even see, be with you. Race is fine. It was, it was, like, race was whatever, but it was mostly economic. There was like a, um, a weird energy between different economic backgrounds. Right. So that's what yeah. I appreciate here is this, like, obviously there's issues, but there's more of like an, an understanding across economic back, like, backgrounds. There's, um, yeah, you, you've lived other places. I've, I've traveled a lot, and I think that a lot of Americans uh, uh, fall into a lie that that things are so bad here. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> Such like, bullshit. Like, if you travel, yeah, it's way more racist. Anywhere else, when people, when people say, I had this awful debate, my, my um, ex-girlfriend, one of her family members, it was like the worst time to have a debate. Yeah? <laughs> the worst time. Like, and, I was, and, I, and I was like... She was, she, she was saying basically that America is one of the ra most racist places. And I was like, no. Like, it, it's racist in many ways for sure. Like, we have issues, but, like, have you been anywhere else? Like, Europe, all these places, like, I hear you. It's that, I think it's an issue that in America, we have the ability to express these things and to work on them, which is beautiful. But in that, there's almost this expectation of perfection. That because we can do these things, it has to be perfect. We can't zoom out and see, like, holy fuck, shit is, shit is way worse everywhere else. Yeah, and I... 
or give ourselves credit for the amount of progress we've made. Yeah. Right? Um, and uh, one of the things I've also noticed, I mean, you know, the last, man, most of my life, I, I, I grew up in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, mm. which is 60% black. Yeah. And so I was te technically a minority there. Yeah. And I grew up in that culture and it was fine. And everyone was hanging out with everybody. And it was yeah. fine. I grew up and I was like, there's really, there were some moments. Um, there were some moments where it got, you know, it was like, I was like, is this, am I, am I getting picked on because I'm white type yeah. of thing? Yeah. Uh, but by, by large, like, like no one really had a problem. It wasn't racist. And then three years ago, like all of a sudden, and, and I, I've traveled all over the world. And three years ago, if you would ask me, like, I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, America is like so doing so fucking good. <laughs> it's like not that, you know, not that racist compared. I mean, when I was in the Navy, we, we busted a slave trade. Well, so like, you know, I've seen the worst of the worst. It's made by design in a way. Like they, it sounds cliche, but it's true. Like they, they want us to be in these wars. Divide and conquer in a way. The more we're sitting here and talking about, you know, what ways racism is fucking fucking us all up, we're not looking at what's really going on. It's it's made by by design. All these things. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the last couple of years, I, I've had some pretty uh, heavy points of depression and like so disappointed in how little the average person notices. I'm like, <laughs> can you see what is happening here? Do you yeah. see the manipulation? They're like. No, you're being bad because you said something like what, like or didn't say something like. But that's also made by design too, right? In in school, everyone made fun of the class clown who would just stand up and say, "I don't agree with that." Ha ha! Like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. That person was demonized and made an outcast. Rinse repeat in society. It said like, now we're looked at as a class clown, the, yeah. the guy who just like, looks at the mainstream folks in the mainstream media and they're like what the fuck is this bullshit and everyone's like this dumbass like we're trained yeah. we're, we're manipulated to be that way we're manipulated to yeah. shut down the guy or girl who thinks outside the box yeah uh and you know i'll, I'll say something that probably pissed some people off say, but, i like, couldn't get less of a fuck <laughs> say whatever you gotta say but you know uh public schools are obedient schools it's an obedient school it's like you're can you can you obey the rules and can you uh, regurgitate information? Can you regurgitate the programming? Yeah. If, if, That's well, all it is. And yeah. I mean, I, I'll debate anybody. I don't care what like intellectual, <laughs> you know, pedigree yeah. they come from is the, what's being taught in school is not really preparing anybody for the future at all. So the fact that it's so important that they receive that programming is very troubling to me. And having come from a background where I was homeschooled and then I went in the Navy, which is all programming. Yeah. I've i lived both. I didn't grow up with the programming. I grew up with the very independent thinking and then went and experienced the most corporate environment that exists, which is the US military. And uh I think that that there's so much fear around disobedience that it's just crazy i mean i think about like you know uh when you see a, a prison bus it's just a school bus yeah the, the, you look at the average public school it looks like a prison yard yeah like these things are food all as well. food the, as well, yeah. the food the, insti yeah. the institution you're either going to be a good factory worker 
or you're going to be a slave in prison. Yeah. Like these, they're paying, they put these people in prison and then they pay them 20 cents a day to work yeah. to build something for a private company that's going to, has a government contract that's going to sell it to the government. Yeah. And then they keep these prisoners. They do things where they, um, uh, they're like, oh, if you, if you behave well, you'll get out early. We got this point system. And then, oh, we lost your points. You got to keep working. You got to keep producing this. This. Yeah. So it's like if if you're high performing, then you get to wear a fucking tie, and count other people's money to make sure they're paying enough in taxes, yeah. or you end up in prison or whatever it is. But it's um, it, it yeah, the people want to fix the school system, and I and I argue that the system of school is the problem in itself. Yeah. The fact that it's so systematized from a centralized authority is the problem. And school being offered to the peasants was uh, first introduced because there was a king who couldn't figure out how to get the peasants to fight for him. Mm. And there was a, um, there was a, um, uh, a suggestion from one of the consultants to the king Maybe basically he's like, well, if we train them from a child, then they'll be ready to fight. And that's pretty much how, I think it was a Prussian. Uh, Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I yeah. went to, um, I went to an Ivy League college. I, I'm like, I went to like the, oh, yeah? the height of the matrix, like indoctrination. And part like you, I was so frustrated is that I only graduated, I think a year and a half, two years ago. Uh -huh. And why I was so frustrated is I, I was in college during COVID. And I was at supposedly the smartest, one of the smartest colleges in the world. And I had everyone there, every single person there, lining up to get a booster, wearing eight masks, <laughs> listening to whatever the fuck they said, like in total fear. Yeah. And I was like, how the fuck is this the smartest place in the world? That, that's, when I, that's when I first clicked me, thank, think, they clicked me, thank God, this is a complete indoctrination. Like the fact that you have bright kids, super smart kids, who are just eating this shit up and cannot even comment against it. Like if I when I would go and say something remotely different, it'd be like eyes on me and like snipers on me immediately. That wasn't yeah. any anything. I looked at it beyond that, right? Like I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I'm I'm neither. I'm kind of right. in the space in between. Like fuck both of them. Yeah. So so for me, that system was super like Democrat brainwashing like, to the wazoo. I'd sit there and I'd, I'd say one different perspective. I'd write a counter a Republican counter argument in an essay. I'd fail it. They give me an F. I'd sit there in a in a, in a, in a in a debate room and say a conservative point, I would get, uh, you get like a complaint from a dean, like crazy shit. That's so crazy. Crazy. Like, and anything that was, that was debating the narrative. And that's when I really saw like, fuck, they're really milking this Democrat agenda to brainwash it all. Yeah. Brainwash us all. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I give the, I saw you have the next body of the elite in this school, the next politicians, the next powerful people all here. And they're all being spoon fed to shit and eating it up with no fucking hesitation. Well, you know, you know, the easiest dogs to train are, which ones? The smart ones. <laughs> Why? Why? You have some train a dumb dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, for sure. You're, you're more likely to get resistance from a dumb dog than a smart dog. Yeah. Not saying all smart dogs are are gonna just be obedient. Yeah, that's what I saw during during COVID. Fuck, I don't give a fuck about the shit anymore. I'll say what I say, but it's like, <laughs> man, who who did you? The people I saw who were first in line to get vaccinated. And it's okay if you do that. I'm not saying against that, but the people who were the most scared well, were the most educated. Who was not getting it? The non-educated people didn't go to college, people didn't go to high school. They were the ones not not following for this agenda. There was a lot of that. I think there was like a there's like a bell curve 
And so you have like the people who are the least educated yeah. that were the most questioning. Yeah. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, and especially like you do have um, uh, black people who were like, uh, Tuskegee experiments. Yeah, yeah. Y'all remember that? Like maybe, you had a maybe we don't do that. You had a New York City, the supposed least racist city in the world, putting vaccine mandates across the, the city when I think like 80%, 70% of black people haven't gotten vaccinated yet. Right. Yeah. So so <laughs> it's a bell curve. You have, you have people that are in low socioeconomic and low education and they're like, whoa, because they haven't been indoctrinated as heavily. Yeah. And then on the on the top side, uh, one of the largest groups of uh, of uh, when you look at how many people got the shot or were uh, versus didn't PhD people that held PhDs actually didn't. No way. Yeah, a lot of PhDs did not get it. People Never like, heard that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and it's because they because if you're paying attention, um, I, I I have a bit of a scientific background. If you're paying attention, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. They go, oh, it's uh, and I get it because, like, I I don't I have friends that got vaccinated. Same here. I have no judgment on it. Just and, like, what I had judgment on is the the assassination campaign and those who didn't want to get it. Yeah, that's what I had a problem with. Yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. What I don't want is you call me a bad person. You trying to like censor me or discipline me for not listening to you. Yeah, that's well, what I'm like. Fuck even you. even I you know a handful of friends that I had that they were super pro vaccine and everything. They they. Uh, they were, because I saw it happening. I was like, they're going to roll out a vaccine. They're going to try to make it mandatory. Yeah. And they were like, no, nah, they won't. Same here. Same here. I said the same, yeah. same thing. <laughs> no, they won't. I was, so like, I was like, okay, okay. Just wait a year. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I, here's the thing. Is, I don't even understand. I don't need to understand science. Yeah. What I need to understand the, the to, to win in this uh, realm is you have to understand narrative. If you understand narrative and you understand mind control and you understand propaganda you don't have to know anything about science. You can just spot bullshit. And so I go, oh, I see. I know how this works because I also study marketing, which is just yeah. propaganda. Yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, if I wanted someone to do this, I would do all this first. I'd yeah. scare the shit out of them. I would remind them that, you know, something bad's going to happen unless this happens. I'm like, oh, there's going to be a vaccine that's going to be mandatory. And, and when my friends who are like all for it and excited about it, we're like, like, nah, it won't be mandatory. That would be weird. Yeah. Three months later, it's like, are you going to get it? I'm like, no. They're like, well, why not? You should get it. You know, we all have to get it. I'm like, yeah. like, weren't you just saying it wasn't going to be mandatory? Yeah. Like, and now you're like, I had to push back on them real hard and be like, they, they, I, I, I really believe for a handful of my friends, had I not been there, they would have been like full mandatory, like yeah, like in the streets, like they need. I, mean, I, was, I was like, Same here. I, I I I stopped some people. I think from going too far. Um, I had a couple of friends that I stopped getting. Uh, I think conversations we had stopped them from getting boosters. Same here. Yeah. But one of them ended up with a vaccine injury. So yeah. Not a not good. And so it, it, it's kind of like it's very hard. It's very hard for that person to admit. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know they know, and they, yeah. they know me, I know, but so they don't like, even want to say it out loud. For me, it's more, my heart goes to is that I'm, you know, I'm more so of, like, libertarian in my heart. Like, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, same. Like, if you want to get 20 of those, go for it. But where I have a problem is that when you're doing it because you're fully brainwashed, that's when my heart goes like, fuck. When you're doing it not out of your own yeah. intuition, it's because you've been fully brainwashed. 
that's when I'm I get angry. Yeah, and it's nothing to do with them. The people getting it. it's just more so being like, man, these people aren't even making the choice. Yeah, the, the more people that go along with it, the harder it is. Um, the more pressure is going to come on you, who doesn't want to have it. Yeah. It's like, look, if everyone goes on board with this and they don't question it at all, now the the possibility of me becoming an outcast or someone trying to string me up goes way up. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. It's it was a it was a big thing for me. It actually taught me a lot about not giving a fuck. <laughs> Because I used to be like such a people pleaser. I almost got it because I was like seeing some girl and she like really wanted me to get it and she judged me if I didn't. I thought she was hot. So I was like, <laughs> fuck, I have to get it. But then thank, but then thank God I, I didn't. That taught me a lot of being like, man, fuck. I was willing to compromise my own health and all this shit to make my family happy, to make my like some girl happy. So it taught me a lot about being yeah, like, I, have I some, cannot give a fuck about that. I have some friends that only got it because their family yeah. wouldn't see them. You know, yeah. they, they wouldn't let him be in the house without it. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. It's sad. But, I mean, we can all, all we can do is take the, the benefits from this experience is that people are waking up. People are really, yeah. the, I think we're the most awake we've ever been in many ways. And asleep, I, too. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, well, I think, like, one of the things that's, like, that, uh, that emerges with the, the evolution of consciousness is technology. And so... There's a, there was like a, the earliest, uh, I'd say like the printing press was one of the first things that would decentralized information. So before the printing press, like unless you were in a church or at a, what would be the equivalent of an Ivy League school where you had access to a library where all yeah. this shit was handwritten, very few people had access to the information. And this is actually, this is why I, when people talk about history, I'm like, Maybe. I mean, the news can't even get what happened 24 hours right. Why do we think that the 0.0001% of the population that actually had access to writing wrote down factual information? I don't know. Yeah. Can I trust that? Probably not. Yeah, sure. Uh, so going back to like levity and play, it's like if you can get into a place where people like start talking about history, I'm like... <laughs> Who the fuck knows? I don't fucking know. I can't make any claims. And I actually think it's ridiculous that you're making such a strong claim. But but everyone agrees. I'm like, that doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. And so, I forgot where I was going with that. The, uh, oh, the decentralization. Printing uh, press. With technology. You got the printing press. That came, came along and all of a sudden, within a couple hundred years, literacy skyrockets. People, there's libraries that aren't just at the university. And then you have the internet that comes along and now everyone's got access to all the too much information. They lack context. But the these are the things that are making it it's very easy to control a crowd of people who can't read. Yeah. Right? But the moment they can read, they become very difficult to control unless you can control what they read. Then you can control them. And so you control them easier almost. You can control them more easy. Yeah, well yeah. yeah. What's well, um fluency creates uh creates connection and community right so that's why all nation most nations the borders are drawn where the language is different yeah. right so we got mexico america canada they got you know they speak their own version of english and french and and so it's not a hundred percent true it's not like we're all one country uh but Generally, the lines are drawn where the language is in because people can't be told what to do in another language, and they wouldn't pay. 
You can't yeah. you can't obey an order you don't understand. Yeah. And so um there's an interesting thing that there's a they were trying to pass a law in the EU that I saw last week. I didn't I didn't get too deep into it where they were trying to ban open source software. And so uh, the reason that's so important is because a lot of open source software, you as a government wouldn't be able to go in and dictate to them to create a backdoor for you or whatever it is. Like everything is very transparent. There's transparency. And so uh, I'm like, why would they want to make open source, which is like very highly the most secure stuff yeah. on the planet? It's like, oh, they don't want everyone to have security. Yeah. They want a one-way transparency, which is what they have right now. It's just like, we can see everything you got going on, but you can't see what we have going on. That's why they don't want Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin creates transparency of, amongst transactions yeah. for everybody. Does the government really want you to know where they spent all that money? If you could track every little digital currency and in its public domain, yeah. they don't want that shit. But this is this is where technology starts expanding. It, it it runs alongside the expansion of consciousness because we are getting more in touch with what's true with that transparency. So you have the printing press with information. The other thing that's fascinating is the rifle. The rifle was invented, and for the first time in in human history, you could. Uh, I became deadly without very much training, and for pretty cheap. Before that, you had to have armor and trained in swords, and you'd dedicate your life to being a warrior. Yeah. And if you didn't dedicate your life to be a warrior, you had to listen to whatever the people in the uniform said, because they just fuck you up. Yeah. They're in charge. So rifle comes along and totally disrupts that. Totally, the, the entire world goes through a huge level of disruption. It's actually like, basically, when that came along is when uh, kingdoms fell and nation states came online is with the right so like the advancements in weaponry because they go from swords to rifles now just farmer joe can pull his rifle out now he's deadly like you don't yeah. you don't mess with it, that person now and so that's another thing of the decentralization of violence through technology also has uh that, that's what allowed america to exist that's what that that preceded the ability to give England, the bird, and say, you know, we're we're not going to be a part of this anymore. And so I see any suppression around trying to control civilians from having any class of weapon as also another way of of trying to suppress consciousness. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of people would like you know might <laughs> talking about guns and consciousness in the same the same thing, but you know a lot of times people are like they get they get uh, triggered by guns. Like I'll have a gun in like a Instagram post. Mm -hmm. I had a guy. I was, I was out shooting. Yeah. I was out uh, training with some Navy SEALs. We're just, it's it's enjoyable. I have yeah. a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And um and it's good. It's good for me. Like I feel good knowing that I can protect my home. Yeah, for sure. And uh, there's a certain le certain level of peace with that. And someone's like, oh, I'm gonna unfollow you because I don't like guns. I'm like. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> like, like what, are, what are we talking about? But people get so triggered by it. And um, and I, I've been online talking about this with other people who are po have posted guns. People are like, I got a problem with you glamorizing guns. I'm like, well, what if it was a sword? Well, swords would be fine. 
like no one no one gets upset because I took a photo with a sword. Yeah. Right? These are the same thing. Just only are different by degree. Yeah. And because the propaganda works. It's like, oh, it's bad once it becomes more deadly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but aren't all got you know, it, or all weapons. It's like should we are we banning knives now? Like where do we draw this line? Yeah. But the problem is, is if you only have the centralized authority as the ones that are allowed to have the weapons, then then that suppresses consciousness. Yeah. Unpack that a bit. I'm still... I get what you're saying, but I think maybe listeners will need a little more explanation. Sure. How is consciousness like exactly really tied to all this stuff? Like to um, press, to guns, to all, all this stuff? Uh, it's all about individual sovereignty. Okay. It's all about equal rights. So just because a group of people form a big group doesn't mean that they have more rights than I do. A hundred people come to the door and be like, you know what? We decided you got to wear a red shirt today. Because if you don't, we're going to kick your ass. Yeah. And we're like, like, what? Yeah. So you don't have any right just because you, a group decided that to be true. Um, And so I... uh, it's about consent, right? It's like, who decides? At the end of the day, it's about who decides. Who decides how I live my life? Yeah. And the if I can't defend, my, if I can't protect myself and someone can force me through uh, violence or the threat of violence and I have no way to, and I just have to comply or else I die, now I become a slave. I become, I, I, yeah. I, I have to suppress myself, my own self-expression. Yeah. The way I see it is that I think, the way I understand life is all symbols outside of us in some way, in that if we allow external forces like government suppression, police, all these people to limit our individual freedom, then that's a symbol of our own self-censorship in a way that it, yeah. it reflects that. That if, for example... If I don't say something, for example, on this podcast, if we were about to go here, my mind would be like, no, look, shut up, Mike can't, can't say that. It wouldn't be like the situation itself. It would be some person or some I, um, group of people I think of that wouldn't want me saying that. And then that would then transfer to me as some part of me censoring myself because I don't, because it's, it's like limiting my own consciousness. That's the way I kind of see it, that all this external stuff has ramifications for our internal world. That's why... I'm so against cancel culture. I get it. I, again, where I'm in the middle is like, I get, I'm not ever denying all the fucked up shit in life. The problem with cancel culture is that even though these things exist, that when we get scared of saying them, we just think it's only the outside world that, okay, I won't offend anyone. But what you're really doing is letting your own consciousness know that you don't have internal freedom in your mind, that you can't think for yourself. That's what's fucked up to me, that cancel culture is teaching people to limit their own consciousness that they cannot think for themselves yeah that's fucking scary to me yeah i mean i look there's always consequences yeah there's always consequences and you can't control like uh uh, to me that's part of the surrender to the universe is i'm gonna say my shit (laughs) and i can't control how you're gonna react to it i have i have to let that shit go and if I can't surrender to how the consequences of my actions and my words, then there's suppression, like you're saying. I think that cancel culture in itself, like if somebody wants to kick me off, like, like, tr- 
in cancel culture, when someone actually gets kicked off of a platform yeah. that's that's more like a utility, like everyone should have access to it, like Twitter or something yeah. like that, um, that's that's wrong. Yeah. That's that's censorship at a really big level, and that's that is a suppression of consciousness. And um, but I think if a lot of people want to get mad at me because they don't like something I said and probably something that was taken out of context, uh, then they have every right to be mad at me. And they yeah. can go out there and they can talk all sorts of shit and tell people they shouldn't listen to the show anymore or, you know, whatever. They can do whatever they want. That's up to them. But I have a problem when people are deplatformed, when there's censorship, when government gets involved. Because government only, no, uh, the last ditch effort for government is always violence. It's the only way they can, and the, at the end of the day, the only reason people actually listen is because they're afraid that they're going to get killed. Mm-hmm. And so if you... Um, censorship taken to the extreme is you have to worry about your life. You know, getting canceled, taken off a platform is your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And it's suppression of consciousness because we're no longer sharing information. But if I now have to worry about my life, because that's where it goes. That's where cancel culture goes. Like, oh, you get kicked off Twitter because some government agency said you can't be there anymore. Well, what's the next step after that? It's a slippery slope. Now, now do I have to worry about them coming to my door? And this is why in America, we have an extra layer of checks and balances. And we the people. And like being in Texas, like last place, one of the reasons I live here is because I realized like this is, shit goes down. This is the last place they're going to be able to to this will be like a last stand type of location, right? There's there this this portal that we're going through because the consciousness just doesn't expand. There's like an expansion and contraction, expansion and contraction, and the contractions get painful. There's a lot of fear and all that, and we got to go through this like really small door. Is the way I see it. So, you, are you under the impression that these events, such as COVID or a recession that these have a reflection in consciousness that like it's like oh yeah it's reflecting some societal shift we have to go through yeah yeah how so yeah um i mean i to me it's like it, it's like so obvious it's like how could it not be yeah um so uh so economy's slow because of fear at the end of the day so people are afraid to spend money they're speculating that things aren't going to be as good tomorrow as they are today. And so they, they start, they stop spending money. Um, the, the economy is driven, uh, whether the economy is doing well or not is dictated on how much volume is being traded. Right. And if fear comes online, the vault trading volume goes down, which means the value goes down. And now the money in your bank isn't worth as much. And then that causes more fear. And so it turns into this, this cycle. Um, uh, any, I mean, it's all fear-based, right? COVID was uh, an incredible amount of fear. It's going to co- Fear causes a contraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, in a state of fear, people operate from much more unconscious. They, much more unconscious behaviors are online. So if, if you're put into a fight-or-flight situation, if you're afraid... You're not going to do something new. You're going to do something that has repeatedly worked in the past for, for survival. You're going to say the right things. You're going to do the right things. You're, whatever it is, 
um, you're going to revert. You're not going to do create. You're not going to create anything new. And so anything that's that's causing people to, and when it's intentionally being created for fear, yeah, there's that's that's indicative of what's happening on co with consciousness. And some people are impacting other people's consciousness heavily. Those are the people with power are able to attract all that attention and then tell people what to think, how to think, and what to be afraid of. Yeah. And the I, I think when expand when consciousness expands is when the person stops looking at a single figure to tell them what to do, and then they they realize who they are. Like I know who I am now. Like I am uh, the creator of everything that exists, and everybody else is just equal. Yeah. There's not somebody that's that's greater than me. Yeah. I I completely I completely agree. I also see it in like um. I don't know if you agree with this take as well, that when I go to consciousness with these events, it's more so like kind of like a needed spiritual shift in the sense of, like, for example, with COVID, for some reason, a bunch of people spiritually woke up at the same time. Mm -hmm. That with COVID, there was like a mass, it gave some kind of invitation for a bunch of people to really wake up. Like for me, it kind of goes with that, that there's some kind of like, Something in consciousness, something in the universe has to collapse or die for the new soldiers or new people who are fighting the new war of light can see the truth. That's the kind of way I, I see it, in, in a way. Yeah. 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 I, I think that when, um, I think a lot of people, when things started to go down, if they were already, like a lot of my friends who were, uh, already in the practice of questioning narrative. Yeah. They, they were like, oh my God, it's way worse than I thought it yeah. was. Like, cause a lot of them were like, ah, I'm just doing my own thing. Screw everybody else. I mean, I was in that boat too. I was like, ah, you know, if people yeah. want to come play with me, then we'll be good, but I'm going to let them do whatever they're going to do. I don't really want to, you know, you know, I, I'm only going to do it. Uh, I'm going to play my game. I'll let them play their game. Yeah. And then like shit the fan and then all of a sudden my game was getting trampled on. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh. I mean, I, I woke up in a way. Yeah. You know, it was um I've been playing with consciousness for a decade, but the the whole um this whole thing was like another level of like growing up. You know, there was waking up and I think there's a, a, a level of growing up that happened for a lot of people. People were already, you know, uh in a place of self reflection and improvement and yeah. and becoming more conscious, but this was people that were on that path got accelerated. Yeah, for sure. And the people who were on the other path accelerated in the other direction. Yeah. I think what I come back to, I kind of pick up on your communication is that you're focused in some way on expanding consciousness perpetually in a way, like a kind of zooming out more and seeing more of your own reality and others. And what I want to end here on this note, cause it's important is that we can either, when we're, facing tough events or tough moments or tough world events we can either contract and like go into this like turtle shell and not want to see anything or we can expand and allow bullshit to let us see the truth what's your way of going about that process or fast way to make that shift to not like get so scared and contract and more so see this beautiful expansion of seeing the opportunity to see something larger do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah breathe <laughs> <laughs> you know whatever is happening with your breath because people think about fight or flight but there's also freeze and people freeze in their breath and if you ever 
if you ever catch yourself freezing in your breath, that's fear online. And being able to connect with your breath will will open things up. Doesn't mean it's an immediate like, oh my God, that's the result. But it's feeling everything and being and, and raising your awareness in that way. Because when you're breathing shallow or freezing, the book is right here in your face. And you think that the book is everything. But when you take a breath, yeah. you get more space and you realize, oh, it's just a book. There's yeah. all this other life around me. And so, yeah, for me, like, if you don't have breath, then you don't have anything. Like, n none of the other tricks work. Yeah. It's like all the other tricks come online after you take a breath. Yeah. It's, it's, what you're saying is, is creating space because when you're in a state of fight or flight, especially the, the part of fear, um, I think it's, it's known. I had a neuroscientist on the show who was telling me about how when you're in fear, the part of your brain that like dictates logic or your understanding of things just stops working. Mm -hmm. Like you just cannot. Therefore, that's why the news makes you scared because you, your uh, critical thinking goes away. Therefore, you can just download information and not question it. So when you actually breathe and you create space and you get into that parasympathetic state, you can allow your own brain to come back online, your own intuition, your own discernment to come mm -hmm. back online to then decide for yourself what is the right route. So to end on this note and give a message on to conclude everything we've been saying is that. You know, don't don't believe everything you're told, especially when you're scared. Take a step back, breathe, get calm, and then use your intuition to create discernment on what you think it is. Yeah. You know? But uh, thank you for coming awesome. on the show, man. I appreciate your unfiltered self coming <laughs> in and say, saying whatever you believe. I love it. Um, where can people find you if they're interested? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Mike underscore Bledsoe, and I've got a program uh, at schoolfortheliving.com. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thank I, you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Goodbye.